Let me go ahead and preface by saying that Virginia Cotta lives about 25 minutes from my living room couch, so if I seem like I am holding back my feelings about Virginia a little bit, that's why. Now, I know that she probably isn't going to escape the Kentucky Correctional Institute for Women in Pee Wee Valley, but it's still a little too close for comfort, so I'm going to try to play nice. Welcome back to Kentucky History and Haunts. I'm Jessie, and today I'm telling you the story of Virginia Cotto. Virginia is 60 years old, white, 5'3", 194 pounds with brown hair and green eyes. And I wanted to do an episode on Virginia because she is, at this moment, the only woman on death row in the state of Kentucky. Virginia Susan Caudill was born on September 10th, 1960. And I'm afraid I don't really know anything about her early life, and that's the part I always hate about these cases. You know, in high-profile cases, you always learn more about the defendant's early life and their mental health, but for these local cases, we usually get none of that. During my research, I'm constantly thinking, I wonder what caused them to do this, or think that, or say this. But for now, I'll have to start Virginia's story on March of 1998 in Lexington, Kentucky. Virginia had been living with her boyfriend, Steve White. On either March 13th or 14th, the couple had a heated argument about Virginia's drug habit, which led to her moving out of his home. Virginia ended up at a crack house where she ran into Jonathan Wayne Goforth. And they had actually met before, but it had been about 15 years since they'd seen one another, which makes this whole thing even crazier. Goforth's rap sheet included a conviction of trafficking a controlled substance in the third degree and a conviction of three counts of criminal facilitation of robbery in the first degree. Goforth drove the pair to Virginia's now ex-boyfriend, Steve White's mom's house on the afternoon of March 14th. To be clear, Virginia was now in the car with someone she hadn't seen in 15 years, leaving a crack house headed to her ex-boyfriend's mom's house. Steve White's mom was named Lynetta White, and she was 73 years old. Once they arrived at Lynetta's home, Caudill asked to borrow 20 or $30. She said she needed to rent a hotel room since she and Steve were on the outs. As I bet you could probably guess, she did not use the money to rent a hotel room. She went back to that same crack house and bought some more cocaine with Jonathan Goforth. Early the next morning on the 15th, around 3 a.m., Virginia Caudill and Jonathan Wayne Goforth drove back to Lynetta's house. This time, though, they weren't interested in just borrowing a few bucks. One or both of them bludgeoned Lynetta White to death in her home. Virginia would later testify that, at first, she had gone back up to Lynetta's door the second time alone, asking to borrow more money. According to her version of events, while Lynetta had turned away to get more money, Goforth appeared out of nowhere and just started to attack her. And when Virginia started yelling for help, she said that he forced her into a bedroom and tied her up. Then he alone proceeded to attack Lynetta, 
ransack the home, steal guns, jewelry, and a mink coat, and load everything into his truck, alone. Then he wrapped Lynetta's lifeless body in a carpet by himself, but then ordered Virginia to carry the body and load it into the trunk of Lynetta's own car. This is where she really loses me. They both then drove separate vehicles, go forth in his truck and Virginia in Lynetta's car to an empty field. And there, she said, go forth, set Lynetta's car on fire. So that was Virginia's version of events. Now here is Jonathan Goforth's. According to him, Virginia was completely in charge of this whole thing. He said that Virginia told Lynetta that she and Goforth were having car trouble, and Lynetta let them in after hearing about the car, so once inside, Virginia started to demand more money. And when Lynetta said no this time, Virginia then struck her on the back of the head with a hammer from Goforth's truck. So in his version of this story, Virginia had looked around and found this hammer in his truck, picked it up, hit it for a while while they were standing there asking for help, and then hit this 73-year-old woman over the head with it. Then Goatforth said that as Virginia continued to just pummel this elderly woman, he decided to go into the next room, have a seat on the couch, and contemplate their next move. I guess while taking his break, it didn't occur to him to maybe go back and pull the five-foot-three woman off of Lynetta and call for help. Next, he said Virginia ransacked the home by herself, loaded the goods into his truck by herself, wrapped Lynetta's body in a carpet by herself, but then had Goforth carry her to the trunk of the car. And then, again, they both drove the vehicles separately to a vacant field where this time Virginia poured gasoline on the car and set it ablaze. No matter which version of events is true, what happened next is incredibly frustrating. So as I said, this occurred around 3 a.m. on the 15th. Virginia was questioned by police on the evening of the 15th. She denied any involvement, and her alibi was just that she had been out with Goforth all that time. So law enforcement left her to go find and question Jonathan, Jonathan Goforth, and somehow, when they left Virginia to go look for him, the two escaped together. What we now know is they first spent a few nights in a cabin near Harrington Lake in Mercer County, which happens to be where Randy Height killed that couple I talked about in episode 12. And then they went to Ocala, Florida. They also stopped in Gulfport, Mississippi before, before Virginia left Goforth and moved on to New Orleans by herself. And it was there in New Orleans that Virginia was caught and arrested on November 11th, 1998, six months after the murder. At the time of her arrest, Virginia told police that, yes, she was there when the murder took place, but Goforth was definitely the one who did it. 
Not long after her arrest, they also found and arrested Jonathan Goforth in Gulfport on December 8th. And when he was picked up, he claimed that they had the wrong guy, that it was Virginia and an unidentified black man who had murdered Lynetta White. I'm going to go ahead and speculate that neither of our defendants in this case have a very high IQ. Now, I'm not stating that as fact. It's purely my opinion, so please don't sue me. But I say that because among all the stupid things they did, Virginia also admitted to two different inmates while she was awaiting trial that she committed the murder. Their reports were slightly inconsistent, but the admittance was still there and they testified against her in her trial in February of 2000. One of them even testified that Virginia had told her that while it was happening, Lynetta pleaded, quote, help me. Why are you doing this to me? After a few postponements, they finally went on trial and both Virginia Caudill and Jonathan Wayne Goforth were convicted of murder, first-degree robbery, first-degree burglary, second-degree arson, and tampering with physical evidence on March 24, 2000. Both of them were sentenced to death. In 2009, the Kentucky Supreme Court upheld the convictions of Jonathan, Virginia, and Robert Foley, who I will definitely be covering at some point. Virginia's appeal was based on having ineffective counsel and that she didn't have an expert witness called in on her behalf to rebut the testimony of a Kentucky State Police officer who analyzed blood spatter on her shoes. In response, the Kentucky Supreme Court said, quote, there was no evidence in Caudill's case that additional expert testimony would have changed the outcome. Now I'm gonna talk about her appeal in a little detail because I always find this part fascinating and I think these things always give you a little more insight into who these people really are. Of course, I won't go through the whole thing, it's really long, but some of the highlights. So together they cited 74 claims of error since they had one trial together. And one of the errors they argued was just that, that they should have had separate trials. And another was postponement of jury service. They postponed the jury for eight full-time students and a professor until the end of the school year. And they were also upset about two specific jurors. When juror 871 was asked whether he could consider a minimum sentence for an aggravated murder, he responded, quote, I can't tell you now, I would have to hear all the evidence, which, I mean, it seems fair to me. And juror 844 stated that she was, quote, for the death penalty, but could consider the full range of penalties and would not automatically impose or exclude any penalty. She also said that she wouldn't be able to consider the lower range for convictions of both murder and robbery or burglary, but also said that she could consider it if, based on all the facts, she thought it was an appropriate punishment. They also cited the Batson Challenge, which, from my understanding, was basically them saying that they had selected jurors based on race to work against them. For context, Virginia and Jonathan Goforth are both white, and Lynetta was black. And they're arguing that when the state got rid of eight white jurors, they were doing it for racially motivated reasons. 
But the state explained when they upheld their convictions that six of the people they replaced were excused because they had, quote, serious reservations about the death penalty. One was excused for having an elementary level education and not having a full understanding of the proceedings. Another was excused for being a close personal friend of Virginia's attorney. And the last one was excused for expressing anger that the, quote, prosecutor perceived to be hostility toward the police and the judicial system. The state introduced three photographs of Lynetta White's reconstructed skull into testimony. Not the skull itself, just three photographs to show the number and nature of the blows to her head. And they appealed that these photographs were not relevant, which I think is crazy. And then another point is just listed as, quote, Caudill's racial slur. On the evening of March 15th, so the first day that the day of the murder and the first time she was questioned, Fayette County Detective Lyons made a remark that was something like, you know, listen, I'm just telling you that this is what I've been hearing from other people. And during that interview, Virginia responded, quote, you were talking to the junkies down the street, the crackheads who were telling you something you wanted to hear, maybe for something they had done laying it on me. I know who you talked to out on the street. Jeanette and that other chick, and I know you talked to that expletive up the street. So just to be crystal clear about this, in the same appeal to the Kentucky Supreme Court, where Virginia and her counsel have claimed that the state was being racist against white people when they chose the jury, that same appeal, they're also asking that her gross, blatant, racist remarks be scratched from the record. That makes me so mad. I believe Virginia's latest appeal was in 2014. And a big part of it was that she was still claiming that she was just an innocent bystander who basically got roped into committing these crimes. But U.S. District Judge Danny C. Reeves made a very good point when he further upheld the state's conviction. Quote, There was no evidence that Caudill had attempted to stop the assault on White or flee the residence once it began. And during the drive, like I alluded to before, Virginia had an opportunity to drive away, but they both went to that field and set that car on fire. They both went... And then they stayed together afterwards. They ran away together. The definition of accomplices. Like I mentioned at the beginning, Virginia is currently on death row at the Kentucky Correctional Institute for Women. Jonathan Goforth is on death row at Eddyville. I don't think either of them have an execution date at the moment because death row is basically purgatory, so that's where things stand for now. At the time of this recording, there are 51 women on death row in the United States, according to the NAACP. Interestingly, 22 of them are in the state of California. But they haven't executed anyone since since, uh, 2006, according to Pew Research. And I would have thought that Florida would have a high number, but they have just three women currently on death row. Texas has the second highest number with six. 
and the federal government just executed Lisa Montgomery in the state of Indiana. As of right now, 28 of our 50 states authorize the death penalty. According to deathpenaltyinfo.org, Kentucky has only executed three people since 1976, which that number is actually surprisingly low to me. The current death row population is 28, with Virginia being the lone female. In our history, one innocent person in Kentucky has been freed from death row and four have been granted clemency. Kentucky also happens to hold the record for number of judicially authorized executions in a single day. This was on July 13, 1928, when seven men were executed, one after the other, in the electric chair at Eddyville. For the first time, I'm asking my listeners to go to anchor.fm slash jesse-bartholomew and click the support button to donate just 99 cents a month to the podcast. All of a sudden, I am putting in a lot of hours to do this show, and I really enjoy the research and the recording and the distribution and the marketing, but it's starting to really add up time-wise, and... I would just really appreciate it if I could get a few donors, a few supporters. Like I said, there's a tier that's just 99 cents a month, and it would really help me out. So again, that's anchor.fm slash jesse-bartholomew, and I'll put that in the show notes as well. And if you want to find me on Instagram, you can go to KY History Haunts, as well as Twitter, and the Facebook, Kentucky History and Haunts. And you can send me an email at kyhistoryhaunts at gmail.com if you have a topic you think I should cover or any questions or anything. So thank you all so much for listening, and I look forward to bringing you another one very soon. Music.